book of Nehemiah. It's a beautiful book, and I love it in particular because the book, for, before I go on, Annette, how nice to see you. I love you. Good to have you here. Okay. Nehemiah is the book of restoration. It's the book of restoration. It's a book that tells us, and it's interesting because the first sermon, if you weren't here, I'll give you all three in five minutes. Uh, the first uh, sharing that I had with you on the book of Nehemiah had to do with Nehemiah, uh, the man. Uh, and Nehemiah gets to be the cupbearer, which is, I, I don't know how to equate it to a position today, but it's like the third or fourth position in a kingdom in terms of, of uh, the household kingdom. Uh, he was the cupbearer. In other words, the cupbearer was the one that brought the wine to the king. And anything the king drank, he brought. Not only was his job to bear the cup, but his job was another one. They were also the tasters. Okay, so if there's any poison, they die before the king died. And another job they had, and this, this is interesting, it was a job of attitude. Yeah, they could not be sad before the king. How would you like to have a job like that? Imagine all the depressed people in New York City. They couldn't, they couldn't apply for it. You couldn't be sad in the king's presence. You couldn't be sad. That was one of the most important parts of the job. And uh, it was a very high position. Now, he receives company from the land of Judah because this book takes place. It starts in Persia. It's really the country of Babylon, but Babylon has fallen, and the Persian Empire has come in through the canals and has taken over Babylon. It was that great night of the writing on the wall, Mene Mene Tekle Ufrasim, where it says, Thy kingdom has been weighed in balance, and you have been found short. And through the channels of the great Babylonian Empire, already the Persian army was already in the channels, in the canals. And so all they did was take right over right there it was the most remarkable thing in the book of Daniel you'll have the whole explanation of it and the Persians took over and with the Persians came the king Darius and then there's another king the history is so fascinating I love it and it's Nehemiah in Persia now how did Nehemiah get to Persia he's a Jew well when Babylonia took captive Judah now I want to tell you that that the kingdom of Israel was divided in two kingdoms. And the division came because of their disobedience to God. Folks, I've got a story to tell you. God is love, but don't get in his way. Do you hear me? God is love, but don't get in his way. Because if you get in his way, there's no promises for you. You say, Sister Amy, what do you mean get in his way? Disobey him. Disobey him. In other words, God is love, but that doesn't mean he's mamby-pamby. That doesn't mean he's, you know, like the, what, what, what was it the, in the Wizard of Oz, the, the scarecrow? No. Uh-uh. God is love. But if you don't obey him, he'll let you know the other side of his coin. 
And he doesn't do it because he's cruel, and he doesn't do it because he's a monster, and he doesn't do it because he's got power and he's going to exercise his power. He does it simply because this is the covenant and the decree he has made with men. Those that obey me, those that follow me, I will bless them. And he does. And I tell you one thing, I like following him because I certainly need his blessing. So uh, we have Nehemiah in, the, in, in this particular place, and he is uh, one of the exiles. The ten, the ten tribes uh, were taken over by Assyria, Assyria, and Assyria, but Assyria, and that disappeared. With time, they disappeared. They never came back. They never came back. Judah was taken out to Babylon. Now they did come back. They came back in drips and drabs and strands as they would let them leave because uh, the Persian emperors were much kinder than uh, the Babylonian uh, leaders. And so in this time of Nehemiah, there were already people going back slow but surely. And one of those that went back and then took another trip back, came to visit Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, how is it? What is it like? And he says, oh, it's a total devastation. It's, it's captivity. Uh, it's a different form of captivity. It's calamity. Our walls are down. Our doors are burnt. Uh, the temple has been turned into ashes. Uh, they've stolen the holy cups. There's nothing there. And whenever we build up a little, the enemy comes and tears it all down because we have no strength and we're so lonely. Nehemiah hears this and his heart breaks. His heart breaks. God's people in that condition. Can we do anything? Sure, we can do it, but nobody's got the power to do anything. And Nehemiah goes before the Lord in prayer and fasting. You know, God works miracles in prayer and fasting. He really does. He really does. There's a change in one's life. And it's, it's unbelievable. There's, there's, there's a clarity of mind that sets in. There's a humbleness of spirit that takes over. There's a sense of justice and right that becomes your portion. But not, not to, to show off because... It just makes you go very low, but to understand the realities of life. And that's the way it is. So Nehemiah, he's crying, and, and, and his heart's breaking. Now he comes before the king, and guess what? He is not smiling. And the king says to him, and he's frightened. Because one of the laws of the Persian kings is you don't come before him without a smile. But the king was kind, but more than kind, God was in it. Prayer and fasting. The king asks him, what's the matter? He tells him. And then the king says something beautiful. What can I do? And here's the man. Here is a man of compassion wanting to go back to his people. But here's a man of great wisdom. He says to the king, give me letters so as I go back, they don't tear me apart. So that each kingdom respects me as a messenger of yours. You got to walk through this world with letters from the king. Hey, hey, folks, you hearing me? Got to walk through with letters from the king. Our king is named Jesus. He's left you a whole bunch of letters. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Keep reading them. And then he had to go also with, uh, with sufficient help to be able to build. He didn't, he didn't have any money. They didn't have any money and any sustenance whatsoever. And he says, King, would you be so kind as to give me letters for the woodsmen? 
that I might get wood, that I might get everything I need to build the gates. They said, fine. King gave it to him. And then the king added, in Spanish we have a nice little word, it's called ñapa. It's after you've bought everything, the grocery store man gives you a little bit of something. Maybe a lollipop, maybe an extra candy. And the king says, all right, you're not going to go alone. I'm going to send my horsemen with you. I'm going to send my guard with you. My G-U-A-R-D, guards with you. Can you imagine Nehemiah going through all that country from Babylon over to the, and he went in style, in that matchless. Now when he got there, that was last week's sermon. He encountered, that, that was the first week's, last week's sermon was the fact that he encountered a lot of problems. And last week's sermon was totally dealt with problems. Fear. And what is fear? Fear is a crippling experience. And that's why God over 250 times speaks to man. And each time he speaks to man, you know what he says? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Why? Because we're scared out of our wits. Even when God did good things, he said, fear not. When he spoke to Mary, he said, fear not. When he spoke to Zachariah, he said, fear not. When he spoke to Cornelius or sent an angel to speak, fear not. Why? Because we're so scared. Have you ever heard that expression, we're scared of our shadow? That's the way it goes. Because like, where, where, did, where did fear start? Third chapter of the book of Genesis. I heard your voice, O oh God, as you walked down in the garden, as you were accustomed to walk with us and talk with us. I heard your voice, and I got scared, and I hid. Why did you get scared? Because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? I love God. God always holds a dialogue. He knows everything, yet he holds a dialogue. Why does God hold a dialogue when he knows everything? Because you got to hear yourself. We've got to hear ourselves. That's why every now and then look in the mirror and talk to yourself. Hey, you. You'd be surprised how the conversation ends so quick. Because when you see your face, you have nothing to say. Yeah. I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. So now today's message is a little different, but it's still in the book of Nehemiah. And in the eighth chapter of the book of Nehemiah, here comes a message, a strange message, a different message, a, a message that sometimes we don't know how to handle, but God gives us the wisdom and he teaches us through his word. It's in the uh, eighth chapter, in the ninth verse, and it says in Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra and the priest, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Now, what is he saying, do not mourn or weep? Let me tell you why he's saying do not mourn or weep. Uh, because if you, if you read ahead, if you read ahead, you will find that the people were, the people were worshiping God and, uh, and they were crying. They were crying. And uh, Nehemiah says to them, now don't, 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 do not mourn or weep. Now, he goes on and he says, for the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Now let me share something about weeping, because it's important that you know it. Weeping, and the people weeped, you know why? Because they hadn't heard the law in so long and they thought that it was gone, that they would never hear law again in terms of reading them from the scrolls in which they were preserved. But when they started to build the wall and when they started to excavate around where the temple was, in the excavations they found the scrolls. 
And there was, say, there was such great joy. And these people said, we found the word of God. We found it. Well, that was a revival. Because the word of God brings revival. And the scripture said that they would get up. And at 9 o'clock in the morning, Ezra would open up the Bible and, uh, and the scroll and read from it. And they would stand until 12 noon hearing the word of God. And once they were in the middle of hearing this word, the scripture says that they would cry out and they would absolutely uh, uh, just weep and wail. Weep and wail. And now as, and Nehemiah tells them, no, nope, no more. It's over. It's over. Now let me explain why their tears. What did the Lord do to make them cry? The Lord reminded them of their national sin. Israel had a national sin. And what was the national sin? Well, the continuous falling away from God. Whenever they hit a new town, a new people, uh, they became infatuated, and whatever those people were doing, they did, and whatever God they worshipped, they would worship. And God had told them, don't worship any other gods. Don't do it. Don't do it. But they continuously did it. And it says, uh, and then these people, why were they in captivity? Why had they been in captivity? Because they had done the same thing. What does God say? If you follow me, if you hear my word, if you walk with me, I'll bless you. I will keep you. Okay? But if you don't, the Bible says, I will scatter you to the farthest ends of the earth. And hasn't God scattered the Jews to the farthest ends of the earth? You talk about the exodus in terms of when they came back, they were coming from everywhere. And to the day of today, you can go to the Tibetan uh, mountains. You can go to the Himalayas. Uh, uh, you can go to, uh, uh, to the Himalayas, rather. You can go to the deepest Africa. You can go anywhere in the whole wide world. And I'll tell you something. You will find a synagogue. For wherever they went, they took their synagogue. And there they were. Now, they, were, they realized they weren't any better than their forefathers. And that's why they were crying. And at the same time, they were promising God that they would serve him. Listen, there's a word here that fits so perfect. The word is called repentance. It's a beautiful word. If you repent, God then will bless you. Now, what does repent mean? It means to turn around. It just, that's all it means. It's a turn around. You were going that way. Well, now you're going this way. You were doing that. Well, you're not going to do that. Let's go this way. The opposite end. That's what repentance is. And nevertheless, the word of God tells us that after repentance, real repentance, God orders joy. Isn't that beautiful? God orders joy. And that's why Nehemiah, you know what he's saying to the people? He's saying, yes, you've cried your sin. You've repented. Okay? And you are crying. Now it's time to stop crying. And folks, I got to tell you something about stopping crying. Be careful of how the devil tries to use your mind. Be very careful about that. The scripture tells us that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. The scripture tells us that it's the enemy that would continuously put us down. There might have been things you did, I don't know when. 
and they're under the blood, it's over, folks. And we're not trying to give everybody warm towels. We're not trying to say, ha, 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 okay, yeah. That's not it. We don't do that. But if we confess our sins, he is just and powerful to forgive us our sins. And the minute we give him our heart, he enters our heart. The only thing is you say, well, how do we know he enters? Well, if you're sincere, he will enter. If you're not sincere, I don't know how. But if you're sincere, if you really want God and you let him move in, repentance becomes your experience. And once you're repented, God then says rejoice, rejoice. Let me tell you this. Our God is a God of festivals. You have never seen a people enjoy life more than the Jewish people. I really mean that. Go through their festivals. Go through their times of feasting. Go through their times of family gathering. And, and it's always been the same. You not only cook for yourself, but if there's any poor people, you cook for the poor people too. So that everybody is feasting together. God has such a situation in his law for the Jewish people that their life, had they obeyed God, had they understood the magnificence of God, do you realize that God's plan of economy for Israel was the most fantastic plan of economy? He had the year of Jubilee, which is the 50th year, in which all possessions, all earth returned to its original owner. You can wheel and deal, and your family could wheel and deal up to 50 years, and then it came back. Now, what does that mean? Now, I'm not an economist, so I can't explain it to you. But it simply means that the market can't crash on you. That's what it means. Do you understand? The market can't crash on you. In other words, the economy is com always, in other words, it comes back to a place where it can start anew. And yet you got all the benefits of 50 years. What's well, the same thing with the earth? What did God say about the earth? Seven years. And then the last year, the seventh year, nothing. You go over to the earth and you talk to it. My father used to talk to the earth. I love my father. Yeah. He planted a garden in my house. We'd have corn and peppers, everything. My father would go out to talk to the plants and talk to the earth. And God talked to the earth on the seventh year. And he would say, just replenish yourself, dear earth. My hand is on you. And then they would start again. Do you realize that with that you don't have erosion? Do you realize with that we don't need pesticides? Do you realize with that we don't have to worry about what happens to our land and our country? I, I can't go into it because the Jewish law and God's protection from Israel is so fantastic that we need weeks to study it, proving that God blessed this people. God blessed them in a very special way. Rejoice, uh, give to others, uh, and then many were coming back to captivity, and they heard the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord was, mourn no more. You've repented, you're sorry, don't mourn anymore. Now let's rejoice. Hallelujah. You know, that's what I like about giving services over to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never has the same program. We do, because we're sticking the muds. You know, we're like, we're like, we're like the oxen that's, uh, that's uh, turning the grain mill, you know. We, we don't really uh, have too much variation. But I love the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has a program every time we get together. The Holy Spirit knows. And that's why sometimes there are services in which we will cry. There are services in which we will have jubilation. 
There are services in which nobody will talk to each other. It'll be so silent. And we'll walk out just that way and go home. Say, what happened? God was there. God was there. And sometimes we can sing and make the rafters shake. It's beautiful. God was there. And one night we stayed and cried our hearts out. No problems. God was there. God was there. I love it. Now the Lord says in his word and to these people, the joy of the Lord. I went to Webster's Dictionary and I share with you Webster's Dictionary. Webster's Dictionary says joy is to rejoice. Joy is to be full of. Then it gives a lot of little words and it puts joy in parenthesis, okay? Which means you can't use the word that you're, what, what do you call it? You, right, you, can't, you can't use the word you're defining in the definition, okay? So he picks up a lot of them and then he throws in joy just for fun. And, 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 and puts it there, all right? Now, the joy of the Lord. Now, this is what, this, first let me tell you what, uh, what our good uh, dictionary says. What is joy? What is rejoice? Uh, joy is to rejoice, to be full of joy, to be full of, one, happiness, to be full of, two, pleasure, to be full of, three, delight. Those are wild words, folks. Because you stand on the corner of Westchester and ask somebody what pleasure is. Okay? Go down to the village and ask somebody what happiness is. Okay? Yeah. Go into a fancy restaurant and ask somebody what delight is. Are you hearing me? Our translations. Let's go to the Bible. What does the Bible say about joy? I love the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was so used of the Holy Spirit that when he speaks, he speaks in, in Spanish you say doblaje. He speaks in doubles, in continuous doubles. The Apostle Paul says, and to you I say, my good people, rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. Like, we, like we're deaf. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And again I say rejoice. Now what is, what, what is it to us? The, the scripture says to rejoice for us. You know what rejoicing is to us? Knowing him. Knowing him. That's our greatest joy. It's not anybody else, folks. It's not anybody else. Oh, I have, I have such good feeling about that. Because... In, in a lifespan, you can meet a lot of celebrities. In a lifespan, you can have a president kiss you on the cheek like Carter kissed me. In a lifespan, you can have, hey, a mayor take you out to dinner like I've been taken out to dinner. In a lifespan, you can travel half the globe, have nice experiences. But can I tell you something? Nothing equals our relationship to him. And everything else is, thank you, Lord. It's okay. Pack it up. You know what it's worth, don't you? A token for the subway. You understand? Matter of fact, it's not even worth that. You understand what I'm saying? You can't. Tell, can you imagine me going to the token booth and say, Carter kissed me on this cheek. Can I get in for free? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that getting on the bus and say, uh, I had dinner with the mayor last week. Can I get on the bus? Can, can you see it? I mean, it's a joke. It's a joke, right? Right? 
I've traveled with Ben Ward, mister. That's your boss. What does that mean to me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Where does your joy come from? There are people that cut off their right arm to walk with celebrities. Well, there are people that would be dressed up all day waiting for the phone call. Okay, who is it? Who's going to call? Oh, God help us. God help us. Rejoice in the Lord. Where does our joy come from? From knowing him. Do you know what it is to ride a bus and be able to say, I love you, Jesus. I love you. I say, somebody don't hear me. Okay, because they'll, they'll run me off the bus. Do you know what it is to take a subway and rejoice in the Lord? Do you know what it is to go through problems and go through pain and go through sorrow? Yet somewhere in there, you know he's there. You know he'll never leave you. You know he'll never forsake you. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in knowing him. And listen to what David says to us as far as delight is concerned. It has nothing to do with a good meal. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. And what? And he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, you've got to watch out for the heart. Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitful above everything. It is. Look in the book of Proverbs. It says it again. Watch out for your heart. Sobre toda cosa guardada, guarda tu corazón, porque de él mana la vida. Of everything you guard, guard mainly and securely your heart, for from it flow the issues of life. That's why we've got to be careful. There was somebody who says, I go by what my heart says. Well, the book says that your heart is deceitful. Your heart is not right. It's not right. Now, what does the word of God says? If you delight yourself in him. In other words, if you're connected to that right motivation. If you're grooved into the right antenna that's God. If you're in touch with the power that is real power. Oh, then he'll give you the desires of your heart. And you know what? By then, there's so many things you don't want. There's so many things you don't want. Oh, I love the Lord. I love him so much this day. I don't think I know of anything I want more than him. I don't know. I really, I've got to to search my mind. I can't find anything. Matter of fact, even when I rest and say, okay, Lord, I love you. Now, you know I love you. Now, let me, let me get on with the business of other things I love and want. I have no other business. And I just say it to you simply because the things you could want most is to know him. And maybe as a young girl, to marry a man you love. And he gave me that. Then as a more adult person, have children and love them. He gave me that. And when my children most needed a little cottage in the country, gave me a little cottage in the country. And my three daughters graduated from Spring Valley High. And then I looked into their little faces and I said, we're going back to the Bronx. And everybody said, Yahoo! So they weren't really stuck on the little house in the country. Uh, it, It was one of mama's things, okay? But what can I tell you? Delight yourself in the Lord. And then he'll give you the desires of your heart. Sister Amy, what are you saying? What I'm trying to say is, let the drive of your existence, let the drive of your today, let the drive of your tomorrow be God. When that 
drive is in you, every other drive subsides and falls into allegiance to God Almighty. And that's the way it's got to be. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. Delight thyself in the Lord. You say, Sister Amy, what do you do to you delight Jesus? Just stand in the corner and say, oh, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. Oh, oh, oh. No, no, no. Then we'd be munchkins. Okay? No. You know where the delight comes in? In reading his word. Get the Bible, folks. Fall in love with your Bible. The Bible is a secret. The Bible is a fountain. The Bible is God's word to humankind. The Bible is a message that's been kept for over 2,000 years. With an expansion and a history of over four. And a timetable of over six. Not unbelievable. Not unbelievable. Forty authors. Sixty-six books. And none of them contradict each other. Isn't that something? You can't even sit in a courtroom without contradictions. And everybody, and everybody knowing what they're going to say. That was God. Last but not least, happiness. Happiness to the world is a product of things. Happiness to us, biblically, happiness is a relationship with the Lord. That's what happiness is. Happiness is a relationship. It's not things. It's a person. And we're happy in the Lord.